Welcome to the Soul Stories podcast series with Michelle Ann, where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories. Grab a cuppa and join me in a heart-filling journey of self-discovery, where my guests will share how they overcame adversity, embraced their spirituality, and allowed their true light to shine. Looking for inspiration, guidance, and tips to find your true passion and purpose? you are definitely in the right spot. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Soul Stories podcast series. I'm your host, Michelle Ann, and we are up to episode number 29 today. And I have a fantastic guest for you this morning. His name is Joe Parnay. So I have another J name. I was just saying on the podcast, I'm doing two podcasts in one day, Joe. um, And I just interviewed another guy and his name was Jack. And I've just been saying that a lot of the guys I've been coming into contact recently, especially these cool, awakened, emotionally intelligent males, all seem to have their first name starting with J. So turning the alphabet. It is, it is. Mm -hmm. So um, you're my second one for today, and I'm very excited to talk to Joe. I met Joe at a business blueprint conference. So it's a business conference that I went to, oh God, it feels like a year ago, but it was last week, I think. And Joe spoke on stage at the conference and he bought the absolute house down. Uh, He was the star of the show. It was a uh, four-day conference and all that anybody wanted to talk about was Joe Parnay. He was the man of the moment. He was a rock star and he really made a difference. I watched everybody when you were talking, Joe, and I'll tell everybody what you do in a second, but everyone was on the edge of their seat. Uh, Joe's a really, really good public speaker. He tells some great stories, very humorous. And I love the fact that you gave so much content, but you didn't have it so structured that it was death by PowerPoint. You know yes. what I mean? You, you tell a really good story, but through your stories, there's so much good learnings, which I absolutely loved. And I was one of the ones on the edge of my seat. Like, I actually, it's so funny. So Joe, I'll tell you what he does, and then I'll tell you something funny because, so Joe's the director at uh, JP Training and Coaching, and he has just um, created some beautiful intellectual property called the Emotional Fitness Formula, which he talked about at Business Blueprint. And when I heard about what you were going to talk about, and as you started talking, of course, my little brain's like, oh, this is what we do. And I, I wasn't going to take notes because I thought I wanted to be present with you. I wanted to hear what you had to say and just absorb it energetically. But I didn't think you were going to tell me anything that that I had to take notes on. Well, Joe was such a good speaker and he started and after about five or 10 minutes, I'm like cursing him because I had to pull my laptop out and start typing because the way he actually it's nothing that I didn't know, Joe, but it was the way you worded it, the way you explained it was just different to how I've ever heard it. So I was madly typing. So if you want some um, quotes from what you said on that day, I'm pretty much, I'm a bit of a touch typer. So I pretty much got it down word for word because uh, he went through this thing called the emotional fitness formula and explained, mm-hmm. oh, I'll let him talk about it. But yeah, it was really mind blowing the way you did it. And I was a little bit gobsmacked and I was a little bit starstruck when Joe came and talked to me after being on the stage <laughs> because he was like famous, man. And um, uh, I was like, oh, my God. And, and not only that, you were really talking about stuff that was dear to my heart. And I felt we had a lot in common and um, I felt very aligned and drawn to you because of what you were talking about. So Joe and I had a little conversation at the table and then my sister Diane happened to walk past and he grabbed her thinking she was some other person. And I'm like, that's my sister. We're like, oh, anyway, we ended up meeting up up in Noosa um, a week later um, because that's where Joe is um, renovating a house up there. And we had our retreat and we had cacao and now the rest is history. So that's a really, 
really brief rundown on how we met. So it's very only a couple of weeks old, but I feel like I, I got to know you really well just by listening to you on stage. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Joe, and maybe tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and this emotional fitness formula. But what I love in my podcast more than anything is really get to know the person. Oh, we've got an echo happening. Did you get that one? No, okay. Um, is to get to know the person at a deeper level, and I'm excited to do that with you. So, but I'll hand it over to you, and you can tell us all about the emotional fitness formula and what you're doing at the moment, and then we'll go from there. Thanks, Michelle. Well, that was one heck of an introduction, my lord. Uh, thank you so much. I really, I just always appreciate that. So, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, I've been working full time as a human behavioralist, coach, trainer, consultant uh, in my own business now for about 16 years. And the emotional fitness formula is a culmination of all my experiences, you know, obviously studies and learnings and all that kind of stuff. But most importantly, the emotional fitness formula has been inspired by actual real work at the coalface, working with people individually, uh, which I don't do anymore, but uh, but group work. And uh, my, my work has led me to all kinds of markets, communities, business groups, you know, local sporting clubs, you know, you kind of like name the market and more than likely I've probably been in front of them for, for some time uh, sharing uh, insights into uh, emotions and emotional wellness, emotional well-being, emotional fitness. <clears throat> so in essence, the, 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 the core uh, focus or mission of the emotional fitness formula is to help people improve significantly their relationship with uncertainty and and to have people become aware that ironically uncertainty is something that you actually want versus against not wanting it and whilst that sounds overly simplistic or however it might sound um, most people seem to correlate uncertainty with fear and because of who knows what because of past experiences past traumas maybe or uh, the way that they were brought up or what was discouraged in them as they were growing up. So most people have got a very unresourceful, immature relationship with uncertainty. Now, uncertainty comes in many, many forms. You can, you can, and I just recorded a podcast just recently where I speak about the power of consciously inviting uncertainty into your life, which you can do in many, many forms. You can do it as simply as having more playfulness in your life because um playfulness and lightness um and laughter which you know laughter is pretty much the shortest distance between you and any other human being is laughter the shortest distance between you and your soul is laughter the ability to laugh at ourselves so having lots of that that's variety which is a form of uncertainty then you can consciously invite into your life challenges or adventures or whatever you you um you know, situation you want to place yourself in because I think that's phenomenal. And the reason why I think that's phenomenal to do is because, as I said in that talk that I did there at the conference where I met you, um, you know, the more uh, different ways that you consciously invite uncertainty into your life, then life has less and less reasons to bring uncertainty to you. And the reason why this is so important, uncertainty that is, is because it is a precursor to growth. And all growth, growth is the perpetual need of the human spirit. Growth is the perpetual need of the universe, of everything contained within it. Because it doesn't matter where you look, whether you look into the tree world, the forest world, the animal world, the insect world, the human world, whatever world you look into, everything's either expanding or shrinking. Everything's either dying or growing. And that's the same with anything in the universe, even man-made stuff, ego stuff, like 
economies grow and, and, mm. and shrink. Markets grow and shrink. Relationships grow and shrink. Our skill set grows and sh- uh, expands and, and, and uh, shrinks. It, it, you know, everything is breathing in, breathing out. The way that we can grow in a more healthy way is to correlate uncertainty with growth. Now, uncertainty, of course, you know, comes in very difficult forms as well. You know, losing a loved one, uh, an accident happens just out of the blue and suddenly your life has changed completely. I mean, these are all very, very difficult circumstances that, uh, you know, anyone in those circumstances, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hell of a time. It's a heck of a time to deal with. Um, but on the balance of probability, for most of us, on an average day, these things don't happen. And so I'm talking to the balance of, you know, I'm, I'm talking to everyone really. But what I'm saying is that, you know, on an average day where you don't have a car accident or you're not struck down with some, you know, health issue or anything like that, on an a- average day, you can be a very powerful conscious inviter of that uncertainty. So the emotional fitness formula was based on that pure mission. And the five focus areas of emotional fitness, which I shared at that talk, um, every aspect of those five areas uh, is another angle, perspective, way, methodology, journey, whatever you want to call it, in order to improve that uh, relationship with uncertainty. So it doesn't. So something I need to make very clear is the purpose of the emotional fitness formula is not to make uncertainty easier. Mm-hmm. Uncertainty is difficult, especially if it's a real challenge. It's not going to make it less difficult. It's just going to give you the power to navigate it with great clarity because you know what's going on. And that's massively different to living a life of confusion, riddled in doubt, low self-esteem, lack of self-confidence, et cetera, trying to navigate uncertainty is um, the difficulty is amplified a lot. Mm. So, yeah. It's about really building resilience, isn't it? <clears throat> like yeah. the ability to bounce back when you have the uncertainty. And the more you and, get... And the only reason why I don't use the word resilience is because resilience has become such a cliche yeah. and has. overused everywhere. Yep. But in essence, emotional fitness means another way of looking at it is that it helps you, it helps expand your capacity to tolerate discomfort. Love that. Yeah, very nicely worded. And yeah. we need it. We, we need it in this day and age. There's so yeah. much going on. Yeah. And there is there so is. much uncertainty. There, there is. And, there, and there's so many ways you can practice this in your life in a very safe way to tolerate discomfort. So, for example, you might be sitting reading a book, and your left knee starts to itch. Well, one of the things I do, call me crazy or weird, but one of the things I do is sometimes I'll just, I'll just scratch the knee and that's it. But if it's itchy and I am teaching myself to become comfortable, to expand and deepen my way of tolerating discomfort, I won't scratch the itch on the knee, for example. Mm. I'll just let it go. And then what what I've discovered in doing little micro acts like that is that the itch goes away. And the reason why it goes away is I stop giving it attention. Mm -hmm. And quantum physics has shown us that what you focus on expands and what you stop focusing on ceases to exist in your experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this also links into one of the other delicate arts of life, which I think is crucial in 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 the skill of becoming a professional human being, is the art of letting go. Mm-hmm. And uh, because everything has to be let go at some point, everything, everything, 100% everything at some point will need to be let go of. And I think when you can let go of an itch in your knee while you're reading a book, 
you're teaching yourself how to become emotionally fit. So these are little micro examples of how you can do it. And then when life comes along or other more macro sort of uncertainty comes along, I know it sounds a bit weird, but the, then on the macro level, you've kind of already got the psychology, you've got the attitude, you've got the, the nuance, the insight, the awareness of how to navigate that, that particular road. So mm. that's, that's really, really powerful. Mm. I love that analogy. It's, really, it's a really good way to put it. I remember when I actually um, had both of my girls, I did very similar to what you did. So leading up to the birth and I ended up having home births with midwives. Um, but I was really adamant that your mind was so powerful that it can pretty much overcome anything. And I did that practice of, you know, I did hypnobirthing and every time um, I was in a bit of pain leading up to the birth, I'm like, well, this is going to be nothing. So let's get over it and get out of uh, that focus. So um, things like, you know, when you're working out and you're doing a squat and your legs are burning, I'm like, if you can get out of putting all your focus into your legs and take your brain away from it, it actually, as you said, it disappears. Yeah, yeah, it actually disappears. The same thing happened in my second birth where I, I didn't realise I was hypnobirthing, but turns out later I was because I'd been listening to a hypno track by mistake. Um, and later then it came into the pain and I knew second time around, holy crap, this yeah. is what I'm in for, Jesus. So I put my little meditation on that I'd been listening to and all of a sudden I was literally like out of my body because yeah. I'd removed my focus from the actual pain of giving birth. And an hour and a half later, without me realising, I, I was there but I wasn't there. Um, yes. Yeah, all natural and amazing. And it's it was funny because as soon as the track finished in my ears, because um, it was a 40-minute track, that's why I know how long my birth was because it went twice. As uh -huh. uh, soon as that track finished, it brought me straight back into my body and holy crap, yes, I was in pain. And I flew yeah. off that couch like someone hit me with a hot poker. But nothing changed other than my yeah. focus. Yeah. So I yes. think that's a very powerful statement about the focus. And that focus is linked to your sense of identity because and that's, and that's yeah. the first of the five focus areas of emotional fitness, the emotional fitness formula, you know, my framework. So, and, and, the, and the way that it linked that is that um, I've done lots of uh, marathons and races and stuff and running and endurance stuff and all that kind of thing. And um, what's fascinating is that how, so identity is simply how you define yourself and what you allow yourself to be defined by it's also known as your self-concept. Basically, that's all fancy language for, you know, what do you think of yourself? You know, that you're, what's, your, what's your reputation with yourself? In other words, that's your self-esteem is your reputation with yourself. Yeah. There's a lot more to be said about that. But um, so, for example, um, when I remember in a couple of, so a marathon is like 42 kilometres and, and really the last 12 Ks is where the race is at and um, after you've done 30, you know, you're pretty much, your glycogen stores are, are gone and really a lot of it is attitude, energy, focus, mind and all that kind of stuff. And I remember saying to myself in one of the races or one of the events, I said to myself, um, it's just a body, it can take it. It's just a body, it can take it. And, and, and my, the, my experience of the pain reduced, the intensity reduced. And I love the words of C.S. Lewis, who said that you don't have a soul, you are a soul, mm -hmm. what you have is a body. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the work that I've done in the identity space, I've borrowed a lot of the work from Carl Jung, where Carl Jung speaks about the identity phase stages, which I shared at the conference. So, you know, in the early stages of identity, we, def we define ourselves as an athlete, not in the literal sense, it's an archetype of athlete. So an archetype is a pattern of, 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 a pattern of behaviour. 
So, so an athlete, be, being that it's a physical thing, archetypically what that means is that we really hang our hat on our, you know, de- be, we define ourselves by our body, our house, our car, our look, our image, the way, you know, it's all physical. And so we're very, very sensitive to other people's opinions of what they think of that particular thing, whether it's our body, our hair, our flat, our house, our car, whatever. And that's that's something to really be aware of is that when we perceive our identity as being directly attacked, we will retaliate in very, very strong, in very strong ways emotionally when we feel like our identity is being attacked. And so if my identity is wrapped up in the athlete archetype, it means I'm going to be hypersensitive when someone says, nice shirt, oh, I don't like that shirt, or, you know, you should grow your hair, or I don't like your car. Suddenly, I take all that personally if I'm at that stage of of identity development because that's how I've defined myself. So what happens is as our responsibilities expand, we start to become, we we start to move into the next phase that Jung spoke about, which is the warrior archetype where we start defining ourselves by our results, how we're doing in our career, our finances, our business, our parenting, you know, our children, how they can parent the other kids, all that kind of stuff. And most of the world is caught up in a combination of athlete archetype and warrior archetype, which is what I call the ambition-driven world. And the ambition-driven world is very egocentric. And in that world, the, the person's power, the individual's power has been outsourced to the opinions of others, the opinion of a market, the opinion of the media, the opinion of my mother, the opinion of insert person here or thing or whatever that influences. And so it's in that world where all of the anxiety and depression issues, clinical and non-clinical, mm-hmm. especially non-clinical, exist in that world because the power has been outsourced to the environment. And so what happens is at some point we all will experience getting lost, whether it's lost in our career, getting lost in life in general, getting lost in a marriage, getting lost in something, where suddenly the things, when I say suddenly, it's not like in a, in a nursing, yeah. suddenly meaning over the course of a year perhaps, we start discovering that what used to turn us on, what used to excite us, the, the, you know, that holiday or that particular experience no longer excites us anymore. Conversations that we used to have in the past with people that excited us, we have no interest in engaging in anymore. And so it's really easy to get lost when that happens because that happens to everyone at some point uh, in this lifetime, more than likely. And so what that means is that in that space of being lost where we, we start to, because all we have, all we can rely on at that level of consciousness is all the voices that exist from the ego inside our head. Mm-hmm. And the ego's favourite cash cry is, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. You know, like... Why don't why are you disengaging with life? This you must be getting depressed. And the story starts to get the narrative starts to get created in our minds. Now, if we don't know what's going on, we will get even further lost into that. And we will experience a full-blown life crisis. And all midlife crisis, whatever you want to call the crisis, I believe, based on my work and my experience, that all crises are identity crises. Oh, I love that. They are, they're all identity yeah. crises. Thank you. So what happens is as we evolve, and this is this is the core part of the emotional fitness work, is that as we evolve, we start realizing that we're entering into a new world. Now, by new world, I'm not talking physical, literal. I'm talking we're moving into a, a different values set. Our yeah. priorities evolve. What matters now didn't matter before, and mm-hmm. what mattered before doesn't matter now. Yeah. Um, as we evolve into the meaning-driven world, we move into the third phase of identity, which is what uh, Jung referred to as states person, 
where our lives suddenly, when I say suddenly, again, slowly over time, we, we suddenly become aware that our life is not about us. It's about the legacy that we leave behind. And this, and this, and this can easily, the ego can easily grasp that and make that become an ego journey where when this is when I hear people in my space say things like, this is ego, when they say things like, my mission is to transform 2 million people or half the world's population. That's bullshit. That's just all ego shit. Yeah. This is absolute, that's all about you, all about me, wanting to, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to, you know, whatever. No, it's, it's about being the man or the woman that has got the psychological awareness that your life impacts other people. So it's having a sensitivity to how other people feel. And the example I often give is whether you're walking down the street or walking down a supermarket aisle, something quite, what's the word, innocuous. But you could be walking down a supermarket aisle noticing a stranger walking the other way, regardless of what they look like, attractive, unattractive, weird, strange, great, beautiful, whatever, is that you will acknowledge them with your eyes and you'll acknowledge their existence with a nod or a smile or even a literal hello. Yeah. And you don't know the ripple effect of that. So the, it's a psychological attitude at the state's person level where you realise that I'm here to contribute to the world, but I'm not here as in, look at me, I've arrived and I have got superpowers. Look, I'm Superman. I'm actually not Clark Kent. I am super. Which, which really, when someone starts to show off their superpowers, they're not Superman or Superwoman. What they've become is super wanker. I love that. Yeah. Super wanker. Yeah, I forgot to add that. To you better trademark. Sister. You better trademark that one. Yeah, I should super trademark. wanker. I love that. I should trademark. That's a good idea. So um, you don't want to become a super wanker. No. Because super wanker is where someone is continually on the horse ride that's called I've got everything to prove and shitloads to defend. Yeah. When in a heart-centric space you've got nothing to defend and nothing to prove. You just are. You're just being and whatever is in front of you, you're the same. When I say the same, I'm not talking about perfection and robotism. I'm talking you're the same as if there's a consistency in your energy. There's a consistency in your presence. So the ultimate identity journey is the fourth phase, which is a phase of spirit. Yeah. And this is where at some point every human being will wake up and realize, oh, my God, I am not my body. I am not my career. I am not even my relationships. I'm so much more than that. I am the conscious awareness that is aware of everything, even though consciously I can't, I'm not, can't be aware of everything because I'm still in this body. We're in this body. We're limited by our, our, you know, our conscious filters and everything and unconscious filters. But in essence, eventually we will return to spirit and we will, you need to let go of Michelle. I need to let go of Joe. At some point we disappear. And, and, I, and I know this with the deepest, most profound, profound of certainty because um, what I've come to realize is that when nature demonstrates something that we can learn in life, if nature is performing that particular act, then it's true. It's a universal because because nature is has got no filters. It is pure. It is egoless. It is pure. So, for example, if you look at nature, right? So you and I will dissolve into the everythingness and be annihilated. We won't exist at some point. We won't exist. And, but we will exist in essence, in essence. So if you look at the river, so over here in Noosa, there's the Noosa River, which opens into the sea. Did you know that every river loses its name as it enters the sea? No. There you go. Of course, that makes sense. Every river loses its name. Yeah. 
so as it as it gets enveloped back into the great the greater beauty yes. of the sea, which then goes into the or the beach or the ocean, and then goes into the ocean, and then that water is just part of it all. That's what happens with us eventually. So our spirit, which is which is the consciousness, which is the thing, the essence that is beating our heart and seeing through our eyes and all that kind of thing, is that the more you become curious about what is it that's doing the looking, who or what is it that's doing the observing of the thinking, the more you become curious and open and the more you build your capacity and skill set to let go, the more uncertainty you can handle mm. because you won't take life as personally as the ego does. Mm. So that's the essence of identity, which is the first of the five core focus areas. I'm not going to go through all of them in that detail, but just quickly for anyone listening in here, Michelle, is that the other focus areas are the second one of emotional fitness is uh, um, life stage. So it's understanding where we are at on the ambition to meaning journey. Yeah. Um, and the third is the third focus area is values. So a value is an emotional compass, and that emotional compass is what inspires and moves us toward and influences completely and flavors absolutely all of our decision making. Mm. So the the word the decisions are very important in life. I know I'm stating the obvious, but if you think about the language, the word decide, C I D E, that last little bit of the word decide means to cut off, to kill off. Think about it. Insecticide is to kill the insect, mm. um, right? And then you've got all the other sides. Homicide is when someone murders somebody else. So decide doesn't mean to murder, but the word side, C-I-D-E, decide means to cut off from the past. Mm-hmm. So when your decisions are actually influenced and inspired by your emotional compass, your values, and you become aware of what your values are, you become a more powerful, not in an ego way, a powerful uh, decision maker in your life. I mean, in other words, you're making decisions that are actually good for you and good for the greater good. And, and, and a value is also defined as a standard of behavior, which I love. And then we've got the last two focus areas. The fourth focus area is emotional flexibility, which we spoke a little bit about yep. in the conference. And that emotional flexibility simply means that uh, emotions don't respond to facts. They only respond to our interpretation of the facts. So we are a manufacturer of fabricatable emotion through the meaning that we are giving what it is that we're experiencing or what it is that we're focusing on. We are fundamentally meaning-making machines in a world that has no meaning. Mm-hmm. And when we become, when we wake up and we become more aware emotionally, being emotionally fit, when we become really emotionally fit, we can become our own source of entertainment because we can be in a situation where we can go, we're caught up in some drama and then you become aware. It's like the awareness kicks in. It's like, this doesn't have to mean anything. That was one of my biggest takeaways, that one, when you said that, like that assumed, what were the words you used? Assumed, you oh, give it assumed meaning? Yeah, there's three levels of truth. So what happens is when we experience something, whether it's me seeing you, Michelle, and, you know, the example, of, I wave to Michelle on the other side of the street and Michelle doesn't wave back. You know, there are three different levels of truth that I can process what has just happened. Because by you not waving back, that micro moment I'm going to be manufacturing and fabricating an emotional state depending on the quality of the meaning I'm giving that experience in that moment. Yeah. So what happens is you don't wave back. Now, if I'm a bit of a victim of, of my own mind, if I'm a victim of my own thinking, I will be living on what's called imagined level of truth, which is the first layer, the most superficial. 
And at a major level of truth, I will say something to myself. It's completely fabricated. I will say to myself something like, Michelle doesn't like me. I knew it. She just doesn't like me. And I feel really sad about that. I feel rejected and and I carry on in like the proverbial pork chop in my mind. Um, and I've completely fabricated that based on no evidence, no facts, no nothing, just the fact that you didn't wave back at me. So what happens is at that level of imagined truth, I've just created a micro moment of sadness, of rejection. Now, as I'm walking down the street and go through my day, if I continue to reflect on that and focus on that, well, what you focus on expands, that emotion ex extended over many hours transforms into a mood. And that mood becomes a psychological cloud that impacts everything in your life. And the next morning when I wake up, if the first thing I like to think about is Michelle not waving back, I'm just re-engaged with the mood. And if I keep doing that over a series of days, that mood will transform into part of my temperament. And when, when it's a temperament stage, you're kind of in the shit because you need external help to get out of that. So it's um, people are creating this all the time. They're not aware. If, you know, the second layer of truth is called assumed truth. You know, these levels of truth come from the beautiful Neil Donald Walsh because his book, uh, Conversations with God, changed my life back in 1901, to death. It just changed my life. And what he said was that the assumed level of truth, and this is my now my add-on, the assumed level of truth is where the commentary simmers. It goes down. Mm -hmm. So Michelle doesn't wave back at assumed level of truth. Oh, she just didn't see me. Now, that's, just, that's made up as well, but the energy around that is more neutral. Oh, she just didn't see me. Compare that to she doesn't like me, I knew it. It's just heavy. Whereas oh, she just didn't see me as lighter. And, and I won't think anything of it. My day continues. I'll stop. I won't even keep thinking about that. And I might even, the only thing I might think is I might send you a bit of a cheeky, smarty message later saying, hey, I saw you today and whatever. And that's it. It's all over. And then at the actual level of truth, the third layer is pure fact. And the fact is I was on one side, you're on the other side. I waved, you didn't. And there's no commentary, no story, no narrative, nothing. So we are living on these different levels. And most people live on an imagined level of truth and uh, assuming this is, you know, why, why hasn't she mm -hmm. called me? No, I'll, you know, whatever. And uh, so those emotions are being fabricated and created all the time. And when we're, when we're embracing this emotional flexibility focus point of emotional fitness, we become a conscious manufacturer of emotion mm. where we can be in the same situation, Michelle, where someone over here is a victim of their own thinking, feels sad about something, whereas I can be, a, or you and I can be in a different sort of angle, same thing, looking at the same thing, where we could be in embracing gratitude. Um, we could be embracing the, Stoic, the Stoic philosophy of the art of negative visualization. And the Stoics, where they spoke about the art of negative visualization, which is where, for example, it put simply, negative visualization means, and I'll, I'll give you, I'll share with you a bit of an example in a sec. In essence, what it means is seeing things a lot worse than what they actually are, yeah. right? But you can't just say, I can't come to you, Michelle. If you're experiencing something difficult, I can't just say to you, Michelle, just picture it being a lot worse and you'll be feeling fine. It doesn't work like that. It's got to be done for real. So what happens is um, if we're both experiencing a difficult situation, let's just say there's growing frustration at the fact that we're caught in traffic and that for some reason we've tuned into the vibe of dickheads and we've attracted the dickheads that morning and that's just how it is, right? Yep. Why are all the dickheads coming out of the bushes today for me? Now, the thing is this. What, what, what has happened there 
Okay, so let me explain this properly. <laughs> I'm telling you things that you already know, but let me just say this. Oh, I love one. this. Yeah. So everything, everything, and that's the, you, we've really got to get their hands around that. Everything, no exception, everything in the universe is energy. And energy is always moving. It doesn't stay still. Energy is always moving. And in science, they say that when energy is moving, it's called a vibration, the way it moves, how fast it moves. So then the speed of that vibration is mm -hmm. called a frequency. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I'm tuning into, a, if I've got a radio here, pretend this is a little radio, and I've got the old dial, just shall it's our vintage here. It's a mouse. They're going to bring those back, you know, uh, bring the dial, and then we're tuning into a particular station and it's, it's playing 1980s music. We're tuning the radio into a frequency that tunes into 1980s music, 101 FM or whatever the station is. Now, using the same radio, the radio is us, our bodies, our brain, our whatever. Using the same radio, same person, focusing on a different frequency, that frequency, talkback radio, for example, is the same radio, same room, same physical location, same surround, same environment. But that radio is giving us a different experience because we're listening to talkback radio and all the dramas that carry on versus 1980s music where we're just bopping along ignorantly and innocently and beautifully and enjoying ourselves in the same moment. Now, let's scratch out what's it got to do with what you're talking about. Everything. Because if I am, if I am, pardon me, my phone's ringing. If I am um, in traffic and it's all the dickheads have come out of the bush and I'm attracting all these weird people today, it's not because the town's weird or the people are weird. Maybe they are weird. But an aware person says, I have tuned in to the frequency of Dickhead FM. <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous. How can that be? Well, I'm in frustration mode. I'm stuck in traffic and I'm carrying on like a pork chop with my story in my mind going, Oh my God, the traffic's getting so bad here. And insert and the narrative gives its other narratives. And then we become ensconced in this whole mood thing. It's just like, oh my God. And so in come the Stoics with the power of negative visualization. Oh, things could be worse. Oh, how? This is because when you're caught in the emotion of frustration and traffic and dickhead factor, the last thing you want to hear is someone saying, things could be worse, Michelle. It's like, fuck off. Like, this is shit. Like, okay, it's shit. Okay, it's shit. If it's shit, you're tuning into shit FM. All you're going to get is shit FM music. Do you know that? So then what happens is we, as an aware, an emotionally fit being, realizes that they are the creator of all of their experiences. Yeah. And so if I want this to change, I need to change station. Well, it's easy to do on a radio, Joe, but how do you do it when you're feeling like that and you've got dickheads around? How do you do that? All right. This is how you do it, the power of negative visualization. But you know, we just said that. Now, listen, this is how it works. What you do is you take away everything that you have in that moment. You take away your health. You take away that car. In other words, let's pretend. And in fact, this is not even pretend. This is real. We're in the car, frustration, dickhead factor. We're in the car. Right now, there is someone there is someone in our, in our space, in our local community, in our city, in our state, in our country, there is someone right now who has just been given some very, very, very tough news because they've got stage four cancer, mm. right? And 
if you've got stage four cancer, you're kind of, you know, whatever it is, three, four, five, six months of living, right? Or you might have realised that that particular pain in your foot is a lot more serious than you think and they're going to have to amputate your foot to keep you alive, right? Mm. Or I picture, I think of really tough scenarios, like there's a parent somewhere right now losing a child. Mm-hmm. year old twin boys, as you know. So what I do is I, I, I take the situation away and I say, well, imagine if you, if you were that person getting told that news of stage four. What if you were told that you have to amputate your foot? What if you were discovering right now that one of your boys is in hospital in a crucial, what's, what's it called, in a very extreme... Critical that, condition. In critical condition, condition, you know? And then I go, that's not happening. That hasn't happened. This is not happening. Oh, my God, I am just simply sitting in my car. Suddenly I am overwhelmed and this is the irony, with the gratitude of being in that situation. And guess what happens? The dickheads dissolve. Mm-hmm. You don't notice them. You're in traffic still, but you don't experience it in the same way. You experience it in a completely different way because you've just taken away what you had, made it worse, and then suddenly, because there's one, that's one aspect where suddenly we become grateful for being in a situation a moment ago was shit, according to our mind. And the other one is this. There are at least, at least 1.5 billion, that's with a B, 1.5 billion people on the planet who would give anything to be in your situation in that moment. And you're in that situation. That's what an emotion, so 95% of an emotional fit person is awareness. So you become aware of, okay, what's around me right now? You know, how have I contributed to what I'm experiencing right now? So um, so what I've tapped into there in the last few minutes is the fifth core focus area of emotional fitness, which is perspective. Mm-hmm. Because this is, these are the ways that we can reset our perspective. Most emotions, most emotions are slaves to expectation. Yes. And, and so what happens is if we're just driving to work and we've got a, an expectation that we're going to get there on time and all is well, and then we measure ourselves against that expectation, well, now I'm going to be late, I'm stuck in traffic, I've got these dickheads, whatever it is, measured against that expectation, we make ourselves, we make ourselves feel really ordinary. Yeah. Right? It's like imagine being on the plane, Michelle, you're flying, and um, they say to you, uh, apologies, uh, we've got some technical issues. Unfortunately, on this flight to Sydney, uh, you, there's no Wi-Fi on the plane. So, and and it's like it's, there's disappointment, but we just we 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 go with that. We go, okay, well that's just how it is. That's just how it is. There's no Wi-Fi. Thank you for letting me know so early, rather than me trying to work it out. So there's no Wi-Fi for the next hour and a half. Okay, you accept that. Oh, hopefully, you just do accept that. Then there's an announcement 15 minutes later. Great news. We've restored the Wi-Fi. Oh, fantastic. Oh, yes, 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 yes. We get to listen to music and, oh, yeah. And then and then, and then, then it stops streaming. And then they come back on and they say, apologies, looks like we've gone back to, we've just gone on an emotional roller coaster ride based on a situation that has not changed. Yeah. Because we are slaves, our emotions are slaves to expectation. So an emotionally fit person is a great manager of expectation and 
has the capacity to instantly let go of a forever changing environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can embrace what's going on, is aware of their frequency, which sounds all whatever it sounds like, but this is a fact. It's science. It's accurate. Everything is a vibration of frequency. And frequency aligns with other frequencies. That's how you can listen to the 1980s music station or the pop music stations because you've tuned the radio into the frequency of that particular station. In that moment, exists every other station. Oh, but Joe, aren't we living in denial if we're choosing to be happy? Choosing the next best feeling thought, as um, what's her name says, I can't remember her name. It's like choosing the next best feeling thought. Why can't you just do that? But aren't we denying the reality of the situation? I'm going to be late. It's like, what are you going to do about that? Right? So then it's like, okay, so, but you're in denial of reality, Joe. You're going to be late. You're in the car. No, I'm not. Why can you say that? Well, because if I'm tuning in to 1980s music and I'm feeling good, I am aware of the thousands of other radio stations that exist and I've chosen to focus on that because you can't focus on more than one radio station at a time. You can't tune into more than one emotion at a time. You can't be frustrated and grateful at the same time. Mm-hmm. If you're suddenly, if you, if you allow yourself to go on a gratitude rampage and suddenly it's like, oh, my God, I feel so emotional. Like I was crying when I was coming back from Business Blueprint in the car on the highway mm-hmm. on the way back here. So I was crying tears of effing joy mm-hmm. at the privilege of just being, I don't know, whatever, just doing all that stuff. It's like, oh, my God. And it's like that was a gratitude rampage, a joyous orgasm of emotion. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, but aren't you being in denial of what's going on in the world? What's going on in the world? They're, they're exactly what I'm talking about. Shouldn't you be? It's like, hold on. You can. You cannot tune into more than one radio station at a time. And just like a radio where you can choose which station you want to tune into, you tune into it. So, for example, when we're in, because uh, I'm, I'm my, my, my family and I moved from Melbourne to Noosa, so Melbourne, you know, the longest shutdown city in the world and all that hoo-ha, you know, I had to change my station. I had to tune in, unfortunately, mm-hmm. every day to mainstream media because things were changing so much that were impacting my business and what I could and couldn't do, where I could go and couldn't go and all blah, 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 blah is that I had to tune into mainstream media and I hated it, but I knew that I had to because if I wanted to know how things were changing in my business over the next month because things were changing at a fast rate, things were exciting, things were depressing, things were everywhere. So your life circumstances will influence which station you tune into, but when things are more normal, and by normal what I mean is where there's no extrem- extremities happening, yeah. So extremes happening. I mean, extremes are only 5% of life. 95% of life is not extreme. So the rest of it is quite, you know, normal. It's every day, whatever you call your every day. In that every day, choose consciously the radio station you want to tune into because that makes a massive difference. It influences your perspective. It, it uh, influences your emotional flexibility. Uh, you tend to be attracted to stations, thoughts, that are in alignment to your values yeah. on some level. Um, you have an awareness of what life stage that you're at, the journey of ambition to meaning where the ultimate is embracing the actual real identity, which is spirit, and that's tapping into the fifth one, which is identity, understanding the journey that we're on. When we have clarity of who we are, what we're about, how we can manage emotion, perspective, and all these wonderful things, and we've got that clarity, any challenge that comes along, 
You can navigate it. Is it going to make the extreme challenges easier? No, but it's, you're going to be more empowered to navigate it more efficiently, more effectively, and more pragmatically as well versus someone who's confused. They don't know who they are. They're lost. They don't know why they're feeling the way they're feeling. They're completely unaware that they're the manufacturer of all emotion. They're not aware of the principle of what you focus on expands and what you stop focusing on ceases to exist. They're not aware of how the way that you see the world, and this is another point I want to add here, Michelle, is that at the end of the day, the only reality that we have, the only access that ego has to reality, which it doesn't have access to reality, the only <laughs> access that it has is perception. Yep. And this should be really great news for everyone because perception is something, as per my conversation within the last 30 minutes, is that we manufacture our perception and we can change it. And that is a wonderful thing. Wow. You have such a way with words. I want to get my laptop out and start typing, but I realize this is being <laughs> recorded and I can listen to it again. So I'm, people are going to love this. If you listen to this and what Joe said, I mean, it, you just have this way with your words that explains it. I don't know if it's just, well, it's not just my brain because the other 400 people loved it too, but you have a way to explain these things in a, in a, such a specific way. Um, now I don't have a good way with words apparently because I can't even get my sentence out because just you just explain it where it all just makes sense. It all yeah. just is like I have like aha moment after aha moment after aha moment. Um, the and the reason why that is happening, amazing. The reason why that is happening is because when you can language the behavioral cloud of, of fog, yeah. you can put language on it. Yeah, it gives you instant clarity. Right. So because yeah. another another aspect of it, so emotional fitness, what it's doing is it's putting language on the confusion of life. Mm. So we go, okay, well, okay, this makes sense. It's where I can see. And you don't have to think about whether it makes sense. It just it does. It, it does or it doesn't, right? And, and so and that's when and another thing about emotionally fit people in the journey is that you become linguistically fussy, which means you become a conscious choice maker in what words yeah. you choose to describe your perception of your experience. Mm -hmm. For example, um, let's just pretend that you and I are business partners and we've just started a new business and we're having a bit of a difficult time. And I turn to you and I say, Michelle, man, this is hard, right? And then you being the emotionally fit aware person that you are, you might say, Actually, that's not accurate. Well, what do you mean? Like, this is hard, man. So, actually, no, that's not accurate. What is accurate is that this is unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. That's a good and way. And suddenly by shifting one word, we go from the heaviness, dead-ended, uh, no progress, word of hard, to the word unfamiliar. Unfamiliar presupposes journey, openness, potentialities, curiosity. We haven't done this before, so cut us a break. Let's just embrace it. Un unfamiliar is a different radio station. It's a different vibe. Mm. And does that mean that every time the word hard comes up, you replace it with unfamiliar? God, no, because the reason, there's a reason why language exists. Every word has got a purpose, but people misuse, misplace the purpose of the words. So losing someone is not unfamiliar. That is effing hard. Yeah. Beyond. So that's why that word exists. But most people use language. Most people use language like a sledgehammer to an effing thumbtack where that doesn't deserve the word hard. Or it's like, you know, oh, my God, the door doesn't seem to want to close today. This is horrific. Really? 
It's just a bloody door that won't close. It's just an inconvenience. Compare the word inconvenient to the word horrific. Oh, but you don't understand, Joe. This is a goddamn nightmare. Oh, my God, you just upgraded your, your, your intense, your, your experience to another level. So people use language like sledgehammer to a thumbtack. All you need is a little... A little tap, tap. Yeah. That's all it needs. So that's another element of emotional fitness. Yeah, I always use the word interesting because my coach taught me that one, similar to what you used, unfamiliar, and it opens because there's a curiosity. So you're like going nuts and you're like, ah! And then I'm like, oh, this is interesting because it gives you that openness and that ability that something can actually change. And there's a curiosity there versus, as you said, the hard, which is just bang, closed door. I love that. I love that, Michelle. That's such a great point. Um, because the other thing, oh, I haven't said this for ages, um, is that when you're in a situation where your ego wants to label it as um, fucked, mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. trade in the word, that word, trade that word in for the word fascinating. Oh, that's a good And one. see what it does to your, your giggle factor. Because let's go back to the frustrating traffic and you're trying to change dickheads. your frequency because you're all the dickheads coming out of the bushes because you've attracted them because you've a frequency range, la, la, la. And it says this is fun. It's like instead of saying that, it's like, this is fascinating. <laughs> they can't see your face, but he's got the funniest look on his face right now. <laughs> so suddenly it's like there's a lightness to it. Yes. Because you see, you see the ego, the ego suffers from terminal seriousness. It really does. Yeah. And so the antithesis, the antidote to that is love, giggle, laughter, lightness. And so fascinating is a word that makes us laugh. Like, Oh, that guy over there, he's fascinating. <laughs> oh, so good. So it good. the way you feel in a heartbeat. So you can do it through language as well. Oh, I'm going to start throwing that one out, especially with my kids. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating shitheads. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Joe, you need to start a quote of the week on your uh, social media. You've got some crackers throughout this podcast. I'm actually going to go oh, through yeah. and write some down. Um, cool. And I think you should have Joe's quote of the week. And pop it in your socials every every week. I, I want to get to a little bit of your story because I heard some of the. Um, you, I don't know if you had an identity crisis. I know you did your shamanic uh, vision quest. Mm-hmm. And was there anything in your life that, like like you said, identity crisis before? Yeah, like, what changed well, you? Like what got you onto this sort of work? Yeah. So th- th- what I love is that everything in the work uh, I've experienced in my life, and this is how I've made got to make sense of my own life by studying people like Carl Jung and other people sort of decoding, if you like, what um, I experienced and then put it together in frameworks to be able to explain this to people. So back in 2003, I had um, I, been working in, in the real estate space for seven years, which for five years, I absolutely loved it. I loved the accolade. I loved the challenge. I loved the awards, rewards, uh, you know, material stuff. I just, I just loved, loved it. I, I felt great. Did you get great. the Porsche by then? No, the, the Porsche was later. Oh, I, want, I want to hear the Porsche story. It's my favourite. Oh, yeah. Um, so then, um, but what happened was in the, in the last two years where it's like how many more awards, what, what's the next, what's, you won X number of awards, does the next one going to make any difference? Mm. And it wasn't. Um, winning that business, it didn't seem to have that spark and, 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 and that the spark anymore. Um the thought of buying a new car had zero interest. Um, I was becoming disengaged. So the things that used to excite me at that point that were exciting me stopped exciting me as I was sharing at the opening of this conversation. And, and so 
I had no idea where to turn. I had no idea what to do other than my energy was dropping and and I thought that I was falling into some kind of depression because that's what people say, you know, like, oh, you're getting depressed or it's something something wrong, you know. And I've got and I've got um, there's cousins of mine who are my dad's my dad's side. There's a few cousins of mine who are on antidepressants because they're apparently, and I say this respectfully, okay, I don't yeah. want to sound flippant, is that apparently they've got depression issues due to physiology and chemicals and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which is a reality, uh, but I, I, I also think that there's other aspects to that. So I thought, oh, maybe I'm becoming like them, mm. right? Uh, and at the time I was 33 and I thought, oh, that's, that's the age of where maybe this happens. So I was experiencing that. But it was a very, like it is for a lot of people, very silent, very private. No one knows. Everything looks mighty fine on the outside. It's like an alcoholic. They look fine on the outside. Mm-hmm. But in private, they're, they're drinking themselves into a stupor. But on the outside, they manage somehow to master the art of looking all good and not smelling about and all that sort of stuff. So, so that was my experience. And then, and then I, I came home on the weekend and one of Sylvana's friends was over, as I shared at the, at the conference, that, uh, and this friend of Sylves, um, her energy has been had been had been flat for a long time. And then for this particular weekend, she was the direct opposite of that. She was sparky, perky, like very full on. And she just come off this uh, re- residential retreat, meditation retreat, of which I uh, I said, "Oh, what are you doing?" I actually said to her, "I said, what did you finally get laid? <laughs> Why are you so happy?" And, um, and uh, I didn't say that at the conference because I wasn't sure if I'd allowed to. So, and um, and she said, no, I've gone, I went on this meditation retreat. I was like, oh, my God. So did you get laid there? No, no. It was like, it was just amazing, you know. And um, so this got my curiosity up and I went onto the web and I found the group that was running this particular uh, retreat. And I just spent, I don't know how long, reading all their pages on their website. And then I rang them and the director of the phone happened to answer the phone and I had this weird conversation where, even though I had, they had no work going, I actually I actually said to them, I'm willing to come and work for you for nothing if you'll take me. And um, and she was like, you know, it was as I said at the conference, it was one of those moments where I thought, what the hell are you saying? Um, but I had nowhere else to go. I had nowhere else to go emotionally. Yeah. I was at a dead end physically with my work. And even though, you know, great wife, pretty good life, this is typical of what happens, yeah. good life, Good marriage, or if you're not married, good relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's going fine, but on the inside, you're not a match to the outside. What's going on there? It's because your values have evolved into the meaning-driven world. You haven't caught up to that yet. Mm-hmm. You're still in a, in, a, in a space that has certain values, and when your values misalign, because now you've moved over here, and over here is not better, it's just another station, just different. So you moved over here, and when there's a misalignment of values, you feel emotionally unwell. So one of the clues to know whether you're living aligned to your values is how well you feel most of the time emotionally. So if you're having lots more, a lot more upsets and frustrations and emotional extremities of up and down in your life, it's because in some significant portions of your life, you're out of alignment to your values. Now, let me be very clear here. Behavior is very complex. There could be a dozen, dozens of explanations in terms of why people feel up and down. But I can tell you, if someone's living completely aligned to their values, they have to be first of all aware of what their values are to live in alignment to them. So when you've got those two things, it's unlikely that you're going to be feeling the extremities of the up and down. Now, at the time, I didn't know that my values had changed. 
I started becoming more interested in uh, matters of the spirit. I started becoming more interested in matters of the soul and near-death experience research and all this sort of stuff. And uh, so long and long and the short of it is I ended up going to this particular uh, business and I worked there while I, worked there. I was with them for 15 months. And during that time, they uh, I got to do all sorts of um, different retreats. And I won't go into all the details because there's not no time here, but I just got to experience lots of amazing experiential things like breath work and vision quests and sweat lodges and, um, you know, fasting and just all these different things I tried, which was just incredible. And I never knew this. And, and this kind of like helped me catch up to who I had become. Yeah. And that's really important language. I'll repeat that. I, I think for a lot of us, emotional fitness, another way of looking at it is it's about catching up to who you have become. And, and so I became clearer on what I was about and all that kind of thing. And then I, I ran out of money. I didn't, I didn't make much money in 15 months. So I had to go back to my old job. And I had a great relationship, still do actually, with my old employer from way back then. Uh, so in 05, I went back to my old job. And I just simply didn't belong there anymore. The people are phenomenal. Nothing to do with the people. Great environment. Everything. This is what made it even more difficult is the environment was great, was supportive. They embraced me. They were beautiful people doing great work with clean intention to serve their, their community. But I didn't belong there anymore. I felt even worse than what I felt like then before I had left. Mm. And uh, I thought there's something definitely not right here. So not, not, not there, but not right about my alignment. So my search continued and then um, I discovered life coaching and I thought there was an ad in some magazine promoting how you can have your own personal development business. And I thought, what? Is that a reality? Is that real? And, uh, and I went to an information night and uh, I signed up and I started my, so I left real estate in December 05 and officially uh, February 2006, I started my coaching and training business wow. and, um, and focused mainly on one-on-one because that was what I was learning how to do. And then I started doing little talks and networking events that I would be, that I'd be members of and um, I go and talk at rotary groups and all these different groups and, and that's how I expanded my skill set in the one-to-many space and I'd found my I'd found my way I found my my place and um, <clears throat> and that in the last 16 years has gone through its own evolution and I'm and I'm feeling like I'm going through another evolution uh, now in my business like in the last you know 12 months to the next 12 months there's I can feel it in my bones it's like significant movements going on, which is all good, just embrace will come. So, um, yes, yeah, so that's the essence of it. And um, and I've just been really bloody lucky that I've just ended up finding something that I'm good at. And it's like it's like Maz, you know, what Maz said on Maz was one of the other speakers, you know, she, she said that she's brilliant in, oh, man, I'm going to do this in injustice. Uh, she was brilliant at. You don't have the lipstick on, you can't say it. I can't say it. She's, <laughs> she's brilliant at what she does, right? Yes. And she said, I'm no good at cooking. I'm not, I'm not even great as a girlfriend. I'm not, she said all these things that she yep. wasn't good at, but this one thing, I believe everyone's got something in their lives. It's the essence. Become, yeah, there's something that you can become a leader, something. There's something. And I just happened to come across the one skill set that is the expression of, of me and all this sort of thing, and uh, I've just put a lot of consistent effort into um, getting good at it. And, and what happens is when you take care of a skill that you can be really, really good at it, that skill will take care of you for the rest of your life. And you had the courage to follow it, which a lot of people may feel it but don't actually follow it. So Yeah, I, I think it's more courage is probably at the start of it, but 
It's more, I, I actually don't believe it's courage. You know why? Because mm-hmm. um, I was so strongly, intensely motivated to get off the hamster wheel of nine till five. Yeah. That doesn't take courage. That's, that's yeah. more fear. So it's like, I don't want that. I'll just try this other thing because mm-hmm. anything, anything would be better than that. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't courage. It was more motivated by the fear of being stuck in that world, which was which was the same thing that got me out of, because uh, when I finished my uni, so my uni background, psychology, sociology majors, and blah, blah, blah. Um, I got my first job out of uni uh, working as a um, work-related fatality researcher, which was dark job. And then from there, I got a job at Ford Motor Company as a rehab counselor, rehabilitation counselor, helping people back to work. <clears throat> and that job for two years, two and a half years, had uh, zero meaning for me because it was a very political role. It wasn't real at all. I wasn't actually helping people. I was trying to work out how to survive in the jungle of politics, which was just beyond my awareness. The ignorance of a 24-year-old coming out of uni and not being exposed to this was, was huge for me. And um, two and a half years later, where I hated being there, I was motivated to leave that uh, for anything else. And then I happened to find this beautiful family that ran this real estate business and I joined them. And, and, and then I realized after five, six, seven years that, okay, I want to get off the hamster wheel, work in five, six days a week and do this. And so there was a strong motivation to move away from something into this the whole way through. So I wouldn't say it's courage. I'd say it's just a commitment and also consistency. Mm. Consistency. So, yeah. That's awesome. And how do you feel when you get out of bed nowadays? First, like you get out of bed, you wake up. What's the first thing that runs through your mind? Like how do you? Nothing. Nothing approach? goes through my so, Wow. <laughs> so when I wake up, it's pretty pretty neutral. <laughs> when I wake up, I, I one, probably the first thing that comes to mind is what day is it? What am I doing this morning in terms of workout? Because every morning it's either I've got two running groups that I'm part of. Uh, I see a trainer twice a week. Uh, and then I've got one day that's a complete rest day, which I just go and do infrared sauna and flotation chamber and stuff. So every day. So the first day I think, what day is it? Oh, it's Tuesday. What's this? Oh, and then this is what I've got to do this morning. And, and then um, I flick over into the diary. What have I got booked in for today? Uh, even though I saw that yesterday, but just a refresher. That's pretty much it. It's really, really basic, nothing complicated at all. Um, I don't have a rigid, um, I'm not a believer of having a rigid uh, routine in the morning because um, you've got to be aware of rigidity in your life. Because, so if I say to myself, a rigid routine is, well, Tuesday mornings, the alarm goes off at 5 30. Yeah. I freshen up, and by 5 45, with my cup of tea or coffee, I am uh, checking emails, and at 6.05, I will do my meditation. It goes to 6.30. And, you know, you know that. Yeah. So that doesn't work. I, I don't believe it. It doesn't work for me anyway. So because when you've got rigidity like that in your routines, it means more than likely, on the balance of probabilities, this is not 100% accurate, but on the balance of probability, you have got rigid rules running through your life in other aspects of your life, how, how your relationship needs to be, how your sons need to be, how work has to be, how the money has to be, whatever that tends to sort of ripple effect everywhere else. So um, the more rigid your mindset, the more immature you are. Yeah. The more mature you are, the more flexible you are, mm-hmm. the flex and flow that you embrace. So I'm not attached to, like this morning, for example, I, I, I actually forgot to meditate. And as I'm drive, driving back from my run back home, 
I'm going, oh, yeah, and the orientation's for him. Oh, I'll catch up tomorrow. Maybe later today I'll get a chance. Mm. And then I looked at my diary and I thought, oh, it doesn't look like today you get much of a chance. Oh, well, I'll just do it tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not beating myself up going, oh, you said, all right? But, but there's an overall, there's a consistency. But consistency, as I said earlier, is not perfection or robotism where everything has to be rigid. A consistency is I will be meditating every week. I will be doing my workout every week. I will be doing X, Y, and Z every week. It's just that I'm not caught up in the order and when it has to happen. And if I miss one day, so be it. I forgot. So what? Move on. And every given moment as an emotionally fit person, you can start again rather than, oh, man, beating yourself up over something that didn't happen an hour ago. Yeah, the flexibility. I love that. So much easier to go through life like that than have too many rules. I love it. Um, now, before I've got a couple of deep questions, three deep questions to ask you at the end. But before we do that, I just want to ask where people can follow you. So I know you've got the Emotional Fitness Hub. That's your Facebook group. Thanks, is it? Michelle. Yeah, so if your listeners are on Facebook, um, if they go to the Emotional Fitness Hub, it's my, my private Facebook group where every Wednesday I do like a mini training. It goes for about 15 minutes. Uh, it's a beautiful group of people. They're, they're, they're people that I'm, I'm the gatekeeper, so you can't just join automatically. You just... You just join and you say you know Michelle Ann and you're in. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, or if I see that there's an influx of people coming from your world, then I know that they're from your world and they're cool. So so yeah, so you can join the emotional fitness hub. Um and the other thing is if you want to just check out to just yeah, the website is joepane.com.au. Uh, you can join the hub through there as well. Yeah. Um I'm not sure when this episode will be released, Michelle. Will it be released before September 15 by any chance? Probably this afternoon, Joe. I'm on to it. Oh wow, that's pretty quick. Well, the other thing, if I could, uh, if I could share that um, we've got a free training coming up. It's a webinar on September the 15th uh, at 1 p.m. It goes for about an hour on the Emotional Fitness Formula. In fact, how you can become certified as a facilitator and trainer of the Emotional Fitness Formula. Um, And there's also programs inside that program for people who are wanting to just expand their professional development. So they aren't interested in becoming consultants of it, but can be... Um, that can become a professional, that's part of the professional development. So with that, um, if you go to joeparnay.com.au, um, on the banner at the top of the page as you enter the website, there's you can link in to that webinar and register for it. And, um, yeah, and if, so if you're curious about what this is all about, I mean, I think I've satiated lots of curiosity here, but if you want to know more about how you can become certified in, in, in this kind of work, and actually use my framework out there in the world, mm-hmm. um, there's something you may want to consider. So that's that's called the Emotional Fitness Guide, A Journey from Ambition to Meaning. Uh, and you can link in to that, register for that via the joeparnay.com.au website. I love so, that. I might be on there. Watch out. If I've got nothing it. on, you'll see me, you'll see my face. <laughs> that's it. beautiful. Uh, so I've got, three, as I said, three deep questions for you before we finish up because yep. uh, I hate superficiality, as you've probably worked out. Mm-hmm. That's why I love everything you talk about because you talk about taking it back to spirit and meaning and, like, basically living your life from heart, from your heart space yep. and the gratitude, which is beautiful. So my first question, and you've touched on points of it throughout um, our podcast, but is what is a soul to you? Well, that's interesting. A soul to me is a non-physical expression of how we are experiencing ourselves right now. And it's one massive step closer to the essence of what we are, which is the spirit. So that's to me what a soul is. And, yeah. Mm, Very good. What happens after you die? I have no idea. 
um, we become free of all the limitations of the physical heaviness of earth and the way it all feels. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that you get to experience everyone that you've ever come across in their most beautiful expression. And I think it's the ultimate freedom. Mm, that's that's and the lightness. I feel there's a lot of lightness that probably comes with it. Yeah, so there's a, was I think you called it the Shiraz, is it the Shiraz conversations? Shiraz drinking moments. Shiraz drinking moments when you're talking deep and you're getting into all this uh, spiritual woo woo talk. Have you had any? This is not one of my questions. I'm off track here, but have I you have had not. any experiences like any? I have not. I, I, I've had experiences through breath work, uh, but intense emotion like similar work that you do with your clients. The emotion rushing out and being expressed out. I've had that, those experiences many times. But no, I've not had a near-death experience or I'm, I'm not, I don't have any conscious memory of the other side of the veil, so I don't. Mm. Have you had any spiritual experiences where like intuitive signs or things that you can't yeah. explain? Yeah, completely. I mean, um, you know, there's a, there's a thing called um, uh, Kairos time versus uh, Kronos, yes. Kronos time. Yes. So Kairos, which is the vertical line, which is when you get an intuitive hit about something, oh, I've got to give Michelle a call, and you mm -hmm. do it now, and then, oh, I've been thinking of it, that kind of thing. Or um, there's something that comes to my awareness that seems to be important that I'll take care of now. It's it's something that can happen in the moment now, and, and things in chaos time, the vertical time, happen really, really fast. Oh, yeah, and, I, and, I, and I reckon we're moving more into that as time goes by. Then you've got Kronos, which is a linear time where everything takes time. Uh, so... Yes, I've had many experiences where I just trust my intuition strongly mm. uh, and it's looked after me very well. Yeah, I love I love all that delving into what is time, what is reality, what actually is this human existence. It's it's deep stuff, but as you said, it's the El Shiraz conversation, a couple of Shirazes under the belt, um, but you can get into that. I could talk about that sort of stuff for hours. So, But the last question I have for you is um, what do you know for sure? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I think it is the height of arrogance of the ego to claim that it knows anything. Mm. So, yeah. That's it. That's a lot of people say that, which I think shows the uh, the ascension of people because we're starting to get out of our ego and moving, as you say, into the meaningful and the heart space. So, yeah, as you're out of the ego, you're right. We know nothing. We think we know stuff and we think we are sure on certain aspects and then something changes. And Think of a stadium that holds 100,000 people and the back seat of one of the grandstands at the back and then in that seat is a speck of dust. That's, that's like that's what the ego can see, nothing. Mm -hmm. and, and then it's like, oh, my God, there is a chair here? Are you kidding me? This chair? This is amazing. Oh, my God, there's another chair. And it has no idea that the stadium even exists, let alone what exists outside of the stadium which is a city. So we know nothing. Yeah, really well put. That makes a lot of sense. We are a piece of dust in a very big universe, <laughs> pretty That's much. It. We don't even have a clue what's out there. And no I love idea. that. More curiosity, more fascination. Yeah. yeah. And just let's say that the, the main thing I got out of this whole podcast was don't tune in to Dickhead FM, by the way. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Job done. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to love you and leave you there and move on with my day. But thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with me. It's been a real honour to hear your insights and uh, pieces of wisdom that you've shared with us. And as I said before, I'll go back and listen with my 
pen, paper and journal and start jotting down these notes and maybe grab a few quotes and I'll send them through to you so you can use them. I'm going to see this quote of the week, Joe Parnay, quote of the week. I can't steal any because they're recorded. (laughs) Thank you so much for um, being here. You're welcome. Thank you. If you have enjoyed this podcast and want to know more, I personally invite you to dip your toes into our business. My sister and I have created an amazing bundle that allows you to taste test what we both have to offer. Get in close proximity, feel the magic for yourself and see what our extended family tribe love about those two sisters. To get all the taste tester deets, head over to www.thosetwosisters.com forward slash taste tester. See you there.